This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt Necrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Hey, this is Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. This is Two-Tone Uncensored. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Moreland. We have a really great show for you tonight, lots of stuff to cover. With me, as always, Matt, who was just traded to an Eagles podcast for $3 and an expired Burger King coupon, Necrone. What's up, Matt? Officially announcing my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> that may be your better option. <laughs> And we got Glenn Lotzenheiser, who has a brilliant 5.9 beers per show average going right now. Yeah, and I'm switching it to some uh, Boilermakers just to up the weight a little bit. Nice. You lost me, man. Boilermakers, <laughs> whiskey and beer. Here we go. As I said, we got a great show for you. We're going to talk about the San Diego game, look ahead to that second preseason game against the Panthers. Of course, we have the mailbag and the news to cover as well. Before we get into it, make sure you, if you want to hop on that pick em. time's running out to do that because it starts as soon as the season starts. All the information that you need is on our website at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com. If you see the NFL pick em link... Just click on it, and it'll take you everything that you need to know so you can get signed up. There's going to be prizes at the end of the year, and you get to compete against me, Matt, and Glenn. Let's hop into the show here, guys, starting off with the mailbag, as we always do. Greg Arias sends a good question in this week, and it says, he says, since there isn't any major position battles going on, what notable cuts do we have left? There's all kinds of battles going on at this point, <laughs> but I would have to say... With the departure of Doriel Green-Britt, we need to decide who we're keeping at wide receiver. And I still think, after what I've seen, I don't know, I guess it depends, but I still think that Trey McBride has a lot of work to do. But I still think that one of those receivers at least is going to be cut. And we might even bring in a a veteran like Roddy White or, or someone like that. But I'm looking for one of the receivers to probably one or two of the receivers to still get cut before the season starts. As far as notable cuts go, I don't know that there's going to be any real surprises going on there. It it probably is going to be a receiver. I think Harry Douglas probably still makes the squad at this point. Once you take DGB out of there, if you keep six, you know, it's between Justin Hunter and Trey McBride. McBride looked okay. Uh, He did do some special teams work. I just... I'm not sure where a surprising cut's going to come at this point unless you know someone has a particular favorite in the running back group. Other than that, I don't see any shocks coming. Yeah, I don't see anybody like really big names or anybody that's that's going to really shock you here. Harry Douglas could be, you know, stretch. I do think he makes the team, but there could be a way where, you know, Justin Hunter and Trey McBride if they play lights out, it really seems like you know, it's a fresh start for everybody, whoever's playing the best. You know, we see now with DGB gone, but I think it really sends a message to Justin Hunter because he's kind of the same player, you know, 
bigger guy, physical, has all the measurables that you want. He shows all the talent in the world, but he just doesn't translate it on the on the game day. So I think it definitely sends a note to him, you know, that you better start playing harder. You're not going to play here. I think at this point in the game, we're we're almost more going to be more surprised, you know, who actually gets to stay on the team. Like, I'm not saying he will because he's got a way more to prove than what we just saw. But Bishop Sankey had a great game. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But anybody, Bleedy Ray Wilson's getting moved to safety. We could see a major shakeup that we weren't expecting. I mean, opening up that one one spot for a receiver changes a lot for the whole team. So, I mean, I think we're more in, in for a bigger surprise to see who actually stays on the team as opposed to who's going to get cut. I think that's probably the right approach even. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be somebody that you're like, he's that really outside shot that we, are, that we don't see coming, and then he ends up making the squad just because of how hard he's worked that we haven't seen him working because yeah. we, we know who all the guys are. Uh, and like you said, you know, Sankey could make the squad. David Cobb, Antonio Andrews played really hard. You know, they keep talking about David Flewellen. None of us think he's got a shot in hell, but it could happen. It's probably more what you're saying. Instead of a big cut, it's going to be a big surprise of who makes it. That's a great Neither. point, too, Matt. That is a great point. It's going to be interesting now with these running backs. You have the the guy that was the best running back last year, the guy that was playing the best in preseason this year, and then the guy that blew up in preseason week one. It's going to be a tough battle there now. But we're going to move on to the next question here. Tyler Musson sends us in a good question. He asks, what is your definition of exotic smash mouth? We've heard this term thrown around a lot. Of course, Malarkey bringing it up earlier in the offseason. So what do you define as exotic smash mouth football? Just uh, a different look with, with different packages. I think it originated in Pittsburgh with Malarkey when you know he had Heinz Ward, Randall L., Jerome Bettis. He's just got really talented guys at each position and in our case, we got a few guys where we can spread them out, put them in different spots. I know when you look back at the Charger game, the first play of the game, which was ironically called by a fan, but we had Henry and DeMarco Murray on the field at the same time. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff like that. Just a lot of different different sets, different looks. I think in this case, exotic smash mouth, because I don't think we have the Antoine Randall L. We don't have the guys as quarterbacks that can be flexed out like that. And I don't think our receivers are that dynamic either. I think exotic Smash Mouth is going to be more of a Smash Mouth football with some trickery going on. We saw it with the Statue of Liberty play that just breaks my heart every time someone does that crap because of what happened to Oklahoma. It, it hurts. It really does. It warms the, my heart, Glenn, every time I when, see it for the exact when, same reason. You know what, Moreland? I may be coming to your house tonight. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, exotic smash mouth is going to be – we're not lining up in the eye the whole time. He's going to do things like have both backs back there. We saw a little bit of it. He had Fowler lined up at a tight end at one point. He had Walker lined up as a fullback. And you know he, he was – or actually, he brought them in motion. They started to play that way. You know, you're, you're going to see motion. You're going to see, see things happening even when they're still running the ball, when they're throwing the ball. It's, it's going to be – more of a smash mouth, but not just a we're running it down your throat, you know, through the A gap all day long. You're going to see power run plays, pulling different people that you wouldn't expect, bringing in receivers to block, lots of different motion, lots of play action. 
I don't think that we have the the people to be flexing out Mariota in the uh, the slot and then have somebody else throw him the ball. Yeah, so, Glenn. You don't remember last year against the Jets when my boy Andrews threw that bomb to Mariota That's for the true. touchdown? Do you ever want to see that happen again? Yeah, I'd like to see it happen every game <laughs> if we can. Shit, maybe not. It, maybe not it, Andrews throwing it, but yeah, I want to see it every game. I'd I love to see them score a long play that way every game. But I don't want to see uh, Mariota out there making catches, getting just lit up oh, when someone yeah. like throws the ball high on him or something. I'd like for him to be able to just be our quarterback and scramble when he has to, as opposed to you know calling lots of run plays. Uh, it's not a question of. Is he capable of physically doing that? And you know, we saw Matt Castle; he can run a little bit. Uh, that's always been something he could do. We, we, it's not that we don't have quarterbacks who are athletic. It's I don't think we have the guys that we want to flex out there on a regular basis to go out there as a receiver because we just can't afford to have him get hurt. We don't have the depth right now. I agree with a lot of what you guys have already said here. You know, Smash Mouth football—you're just running, you're pushing the ball downhill. We see a lot of teams do this. If you look at what Denver's going to be doing this year under Kubiak, they're going to be running the ball down the hill, a lot of play actions, a lot of bootlegs. I think you're going to see that, but the exotic part becomes with the wrinkles that are in there, you know, the read option that they're going to throw in there. You might see some triple option. As Glenn just said, you're seeing guys pull that you wouldn't expect, and we saw that even in that preseason game. saw a lot of, you know, a lot of pulling work for our offensive linemen, just little wrinkles like that and some trickery and stuff like that thrown in. And that's where you get the exotic part of it. I think everybody knows what Smash Mouth football is. So I think it's great because we do not have the talent. We don't have a great wide receivers core. We have a young up-and-coming quarterback. We have uh, an offensive line that's that's really young and still has a lot to prove. These little wrinkles, you know, will make when we play teams that have more talent than us gives us a leg up on those more talented teams it's uh it'll help us nullify the gap between more talented teams these wrinkles and stuff so that's why i think it's the exotic part is just a little trickery a little bit of wrinkles here and there that you wouldn't normally see in a smash mouth running downhill kind of a team the next one in here comes from jay russell longtime listener of the show he said, does the loss of DGB mean that Andre Johnson is guaranteed to make the team? Yes, I guess I would say yes. But I would say that I think he was going to make the team whether he was there or not. DGB opens up a big hole on this roster, probably for the better. I'm not, I, I was definitely shocked when I saw the trade and I'm not really fond of who we got in return. But, I mean, for something like that to go down – there's got to be more to the story that we just don't know. From what I heard after the fact, he was pretty happy to be gone. I do know he wasn't picking shit up from the playbook stance, running routes, slipping. Jason Irons will be the first one to tell you that. He, he records his television and puts it on the group page for us to watch him fall down in practice. But um, I think that Andre Johnson is going to be all right this season with or without DGB. I, I would have loved to have seen him tutor green beckham and mold him into something special but unfortunately we won't get to see that i think that we gave up on him a little too early but at the same time it it sets a a precedence where john robinson is a no-nonsense guy and that was one of uh, rustin webster's picks so i mean you know he had nothing really invested in him if he really likes this kelly guy that we brought in as a a backup lineman if he can contribute then i'm all for it but i mean 
I, I really do think we probably do bring in maybe one more veteran receiver, and maybe he doesn't win the spot, but I think somebody will compete for that, that open spot. I kind of disagree on the idea that we bring somebody else in, unless there's somebody who gets cut that has a lot more physical ability than the guys we already have. I don't think they'll bring anybody else in because they, they've already got several just possession-type guys. The spot that DGB you know, leaves vacant is uh, Andre Johnson's spot, the big possession receiver who can make plays. And like you said, Matt, he, he left a hole. we got to fill it, but I think Johnson does make the team. Whereas before we had discussed that maybe he gets cut last week if you know Hunter or DGB respond to the challenge, I don't think that's the case anymore. We've we've seen it. You know there wasn't a response. DGB's gone. I don't think Hunter can displace Andre Johnson unless all of a sudden just lights a huge fight under under his ass, and I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think Matt said it great here. I think this does mean he's guaranteed to make the team, but I thought he was going to make the team before we uh, made the trade. I just I think that Andre Johnson, he's really picked this up quick. We've talked about DGB, how he hasn't picked up the playbook, you know, and he's had all offseason to have it. And he's just shown the most with it and, and been able to do the most and just seems more comfortable. And you, you can see it in the – you know, when you watch their training camp, when you see them in that first preseason game. And, uh, yeah, I agree with Glenn. Hunter's not going to put pressure on Andre Johnson. Uh, Hunter, I think, at this point has to work to stay on the team. So then you're looking at you have to have a big guy out there. You have to have a big wide receiver. And Andre Johnson's easily the best of the group, especially with DGB out of the picture. So obviously I think that, yeah, it's a guarantee that he's going to make the team. And I know I'm not going to get too much into DGB right now because I know we're about to bring it up in the news, in which we'll talk about it a lot more. And last question here in our mailbag, guys. Mallory Walsh sends this one in. And she wants to know, how do you guys feel about the way the offensive line played in that first preseason game? I liked it. Uh, Obviously, we were very productive, and we stayed out there longer than their first team defense stayed out there but nonetheless we needed the reps I I liked what I saw from pretty much everyone everyone that played pretty much stood out very well I believe we ran for about three about 300 yards I believe so I mean obviously if we can produce that then uh no complaints from me I had kind of a different take on the offensive line yeah like like Matt said they didn't play against the ones the whole time they were also playing against the worst run defense in the league last year this isn't a, any better of a defense. You know, they signed both, so they can't get him into camp. Mabane, who I brought up in my article, they brought him in. He, he He's a guy that can help control the center of the line. We didn't run up the middle of the line a whole lot. Uh, we did A-gap and a, a little bit as far as off the center goes. But for the most part, we were running off the tackles. So I don't know that I saw enough from the line to really believe that you know, they're ready to rock and roll. We'll find out a lot more in the next couple of preseason games here. We're playing a much better defense this next week. The tackles in pass protection, they really struggled. Well, obviously, when we recap the game later, we'll talk more about this. But both starting tackles, when it was just a pure passing down situation, they were just walking straight backwards because they were getting bull rushed, even by linebackers. There's a lot to work on still. I'm really glad they left them out there as long as they did. They need the work, and it gives us more to look at. But at the same time, we did rush for almost 300 yards. 
they had a great day run blocking. It's the pass blocking that concerns me more. And the pass blocking is also a function of other things going on, like receivers not getting open. You know, the quarterback stayed fairly clean. I thought the line did okay. There's a lot to work on, though. I told you guys right after I watched that game that there was two guys that impressed me on our starting offensive line, two guys that I got exactly what I thought I was going to get, and one guy that disappointed me. You know, the two guys that impressed me, first, Ben Jones. I thought that he played a good game. Every time he had a block, he he kept a guy in front of him. He blocked very well in both pass protection that I saw and in the run blocking. Quentin Spain was the other one. And it seemed like every single running down, Quentin Spain made it off the initial block and into that second level to open up bigger lanes. He really did impress me. Pass blocking, he was good, not great, but he really impressed me with his athleticism. And he was a little more athletic than I thought he'd be, getting into that second level and a lot of the running blocking. And it was just better than what I expected him to be. And the two guys that I thought I got what I thought I was going to get, even Warmack, you know, we know what you're going to get. I've seen him play here for a few years now, and he didn't do anything that I thought was terrible, and he didn't do anything that I thought would blew me away. He just played exactly what I figured he'd play, which is, you know, pretty decent, pretty solid um, for a guard on the right side. And then also his companion on the right side and Jack Conklin, we knew that the footwork wasn't quite there. It's a, it's a work in progress for him. We know that he can struggle with guys with speed, which I think we saw. It. And, you know, any time a tackle makes it, the transition from, from college to the NFL, speed obviously can be an issue. The power, the strength that those guys have. You know, it takes a while to get used to that. So even though he did struggle, as Glenn said, it wasn't something that really shocked me because I expected him to have a little bit of trouble starting out in the NFL. The guy that disappointed me, obviously, if you're doing the math here at home, the only guy left, Taylor Lewan. He was beat regularly in the pass protection. And I mentioned this to you, and I asked you, Glenn, when we were looking back at this, and you were watching the game for the second time, I said, watch Lewan. Well, I've no what to expect from Lawan. I know what we've seen from him before and I just I don't think this was Lawan just got beat. I think it was more Lawan just wasn't trying. I, he just didn't put in the effort is what it seemed like to me uh, from the way he was playing. I just wasn't very impressed with the effort that he put out because I know that he's better than what I saw on the field there on that first game, especially in pass blocking. It was pretty horrendous. Yeah, Lawan I, I still say he looks like a right tackle to me. Uh, he's, it's not that he can't be a left tackle. I think he's a better backup left tackle or you know the, the fill-in guy. I know he doesn't want to be a right tackle. It's not you know his ego doesn't want him to be a right tackle. This is just I, I saw what I was afraid I was going to see from him. I saw the bad plays. I saw his good moments. Uh, he can still run block a little bit, which is why I think he's a better right tackle. He's more athletic than Conklin is. I think he'd been. I think him moving the right tackle would given us a better right tackle. And then you know, again, if we had just drafted the left tackle that Ryan and I wanted, we wouldn't have these problems today. Tunsil. Tunsil. Oh. Tunsil. Matt's this... shooting himself in the head. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't think it's a talent issue. I think it's an effort issue. From what I saw from Luan in that game, but. Coming fresh off of this game against San Diego, I know it was exciting to talk about the hometown anchorman, Glenn Lotzenheiser, but now you're back with more news for us, so take it away, Glenn. All right, we're not going to play any games and I know hard to get. We're just getting to the big news. Clearly, John Robinson listens to the show. 
he obviously listened to and now has answered my question that I had last week about what type of bust Earl Green Beckham was going to be. I asked, is he going to be a Justin Hunter type bust? Kenny Britt type bust? Well, John says neither. He's going to be traded for a fifth round backup right tackle. Obviously, he's had some spot duty at guard. You guys have had most of the data digested. We've already talked a little bit about it. Let's go ahead and dig deeper into this trade, what it means for the team, what the real workings of this are, how the fan base has responded. So, you know, where do you guys stand on this trade right now? Uh, for a value, if you're evaluating this trade just purely on the value of the two players, we obviously lost this trade. I don't know how you can look at it and see it any other way right now. If you're just purely looking at the value of the two players, you're looking at a guy who's a backup swing tackle compared to a guy that has the potential to be a great wide receiver. You know what you're going to get from this Dennis Kelly. You don't know what yet the future holds for DGB, and it could be pretty spectacular from what we've seen from his measurables and stuff. So from a pure evaluation of just the two guys, of course we lost this trade. Yeah, that's pretty much how you have to look at it. I mean, nobody really knows what he'll end up being, but everyone does know the potential he has. But like I said earlier, briefly, I, I talked about, we don't know exactly what went on behind the scenes. There's There's got to be something else that happened. We don't just give up a 40th overall pick for a, a former fifth-round pick backup guard. In my mind, I, I think that they felt like they had to get rid of him for the team's sake. But, I mean, I, th- I think that they made the trade. They, they basically sent him packing and, and got whatever they could. And I guess, from what I understood, Robinson said that, that Philly actually got in contact with him inquiring about DGB. He's had a real rough camp. I mean, he obviously wasn't picking it up. It's been the story of the offseason of him and Tajay Sharp, you know, uh, another fifth-round pick, ironically, coming in and beating him out. But basically, you know, player for player, like Ryan said, we lost the trade. But if he doesn't ever get on the field for I, – I honestly, I don't see him not being successful or at least mediocre. Like, it's really hard to judge him right now. I think that he can easily start on Philadelphia's – roster because they have really nobody i think he's better than aguilar but he has so much to prove and and i think we gave up a lot to get a little and i'm not real happy about that but at the same time it it opens up a whole new opportunity for our guys that we have here so i mean it is what it is all we can do is move on i'm sensing some emotion in your voice there matt yeah you know well i didn't buy his jersey so there's that i'm I'm there there you go i I do have my uh mariota uh, DGB jerseys card from their uh, rookie year. <laughs> just sitting there, basically it's on fire now, just like this is worthless. I might as well throw this sucker out. <laughs> no, but as far as this trade goes, one, one thing I want to remind people is it's too late for the folks over at EA to change the roster on the default roster. So this trade hasn't actually happened in most of your all's real football life, which is Madden. So you're going to be able to you know sign on, play, and run with DGB being on the roster still. You don't have to deal with the fact that he was traded to the Eagles unless you do a roster update you know, later on. Trade him. That's it's important. too hard. You got to yeah. trade him. Yeah, uh, the, not being able to do all the roster updates so you can play live games is that worth it for DGB? I don't think so. As far as you know, like you guys said, the the one for one man trade obviously not a good trade for us. There's 
some stuff going on there as far as I, I don't think Malarkey wants to deal with them. Uh, it really does look like they're a win-now mode, and they don't have time for somebody who isn't ready to win right now and isn't going to contribute. You know, if you look at it, it's one of those trades that DGB has pushed himself down the depth chart enough that we're basically trading a fifth-string wide receiver for a second-string tackle. That may make it easier to swallow. We all know that's kind of bullshit. But it's easier to swallow when you think that Johnson, Wright, Matthews, and Sharp were all going to see the field before Doyle did, the way this this camp was going. And we know at some point in time we're going to have to use Kelly. I keep seeing people calling him a swing tackle. I don't think he can play left tackle. Uh, he, so he's not he, he's a backup right tackle to me. And he can play a little bit of guard. But he's too big, too tall to have in there to guard, really. He's going to get linemen up underneath him, eating him up. He needs to be a tackle, but he's not that athletic, so he is a backup tackle. Obviously, none of us feel real good about the trade. We kind of see what they're up to. You know, Robinson's sending a message to the entire team. If you're not going to contribute, if you're not ready to play hard every day, you will be replaced with somebody who does. I don't need to deal with you. You'll just go away. We'll take whatever we can get for you. You go play there. DGB will play there because, like you guys have already said, their receiver core is terrible. You know, so he's probably going to be a starter there. He'll get a chance to play. He's got all the ability to be a big-time receiver there for him. I just, you know, we, we don't know what he's going to turn into, but the roster is so bad that he's got a shot. That's where you guys kind of brought it up a little bit. That's where we can win this trade, potentially. Because I don't think we're ever going to win on a value standpoint because I don't think that DGB is just going to fall off the face of the earth, and I don't think that... Dennis Kelly is going to be starter potential ever. So I don't think we're ever going to win that, but we can win it different way, and that is through the messages since the team and how they react to it. Anybody who's played any sport, who's been in a locker room, knows that it's easier to be a hardworking guy in that locker room if you're surrounded with hardworking guys and the guys that, that want to come in and want to succeed, want to you know strive, do everything they can. And I, that's just what they're trying to build. They're trying to build that in their locker room. And DGB's not that guy. And getting rid of him, I think it, it shows a message that that's the kind of guy we want. That's the kind of guy you have to be to be a Tennessee Titan. And then it also gets rid of one of these guys that was... Well, you know, a problem because it is infectious. You know, that's why they call it a locker room cancer, is because once it starts one place, it can spread fast. So I think you know, not only are you sending a message, but you're getting one of these guys out of there that that could potentially be a cancer in that locker room. It still it still hurts that we couldn't have gotten like a draft pick or something a little bit extra sweet in this deal. But overall, I think it might help us out in the long run because of that attitude that it shows and, and the message that it sends to the team around them. Yeah, that's where I was going to go on that pick thought. If we could have at least gotten a fifth-round pick for him, it would have been a nice little bit of justice. You know, Sharp's a fifth-round pick. He took DGB's job. We, we trade DGB away. We get another fifth-round pick and a backup lineman. I'd feel a little bit better about that with a little bit of poetic justice going on. Let me ask you this. Hypothetically, if today's trade never happened and we keep him, let's say we keep him for the final roster cuts, do you think that John Robinson would cut him if we didn't get this trade off today? Oh, man. Um, 
because obviously we're going down that road if you know we got rid of him for almost nothing so i mean should we get what we can get now as opposed to getting nothing later yeah, I mean, I mean, that's yeah, how i look that's, at it if that's your attitude and that's obviously what you're looking at with with john robinson and mike malarkey here and, and their thought process matt and that's a good point that's obviously what they're thinking and they got something for it you know rather than just eating the fact that you're cutting a player you could have gotten something for it's like taking your you know your flat screen tv to a pawn shop and selling it for $14 like yeah you got no, something for it <laughs> you love it you love it glenn you already know <laughs> don't try to jump on matt's bandwagon you know you love the analogies yeah i mean that's a great point that you just get a, something for it get something for it yeah that's what i was saying I, get get me a fifth round pick where we just got sharp, we've proven we can get a receiver with that. Let's trade this guy away. Now, it's, you know, the whole point about him possibly being the cancer, he may not have been mature enough personally to handle not being a starter. The idea that he is that far down, maybe he's been in the locker room complaining he's not getting his, you know, his chances out there. Maybe he's been saying, this is bullshit. Why aren't I on the field? And the team's just like, you know what? We want guys who are accountable for their actions, guys who are going to work hard, guys who are going to respond to a challenge. And so maybe that is why they got rid of him. They didn't feel when you know, push comes to shove, if they don't cut him, he's going to sit there in the locker room and be a pain in the ass the whole season, crying that he's not getting his chances to go out there and prove himself. So that, that could be what happened here. Yeah, and also I think it's so fresh right now that tomorrow or the next day or next week, whatever, he's probably going to come out with some comments that none of us are going to like. And we're sympathetic right now because it's so new. But I have a feeling you know, in, in the weeks to come, our attitude towards DGB will probably change. <laughs> The best part about this, too, uh, you know, to try to reframe, keep it, your mind from hurting about this whole trade process, too, is, you know, we got rid of this guy that was not a hard worker, that was a guy that kind of slacked off. And it's a lot of it is due to the fact that you guys, you've brought up several times in this, Staze Sharp, we got a guy in the fifth round who is a worker, who is a guy that wants to come in and play and wants to, you know, train hard. And he, what, he brought a football with him, says he takes a football to bed every night, you know, he sleeps with the football. He's a guy that loves the game and loves playing the game and is a hard worker. So it's, it, I just, I've said it on the show a hundred times now, I think, but it, it, it shows every time, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah, and, you know, we, we said earlier in the year, whenever they signed Richard Matthews, that he came in here not necessarily to start, but to push guys by playing hard, by working hard because he was that kind of a guy. We said the same thing about Sharp when they drafted him, that he's a guy who can come in here and he can push Doyle Green back and he can make him a better player. But if the guy doesn't respond and it doesn't make him a better player and it breaks him, well, then this is what you end up with. And you trade him away for a backup tackle and you just you move on. You don't worry about it. It's possible that John Robinson is one of those guys that once you're not of any real value to him, he's just done with you and just whoever will come out there. I really think he could have shot them around more but maybe they were worried about him sitting in the locker room knowing he's getting traded and how much worse that would be. Right, right. I, that's the thing as it comes down to is I'm not mad that we got rid of DGB. I completely understand it. I understand why we did it. I wish we would have gotten a little bit more. and that's I wish we would have shopped him around a little longer, just like you said. All right, so you know we, we all agree the DGB trade hurts a little bit. It's more about a value thing for us than the fact that he's gone because he – he was our leading receiver last year, but he wasn't here long enough to really establish himself, and he didn't seem to be responding. You know, so it, it, it hurts today. I don't know that we'll get the messages Ryan's talking about. Maybe he isn't mature enough to keep his mouth shut and just go worry about his new team. 
that, that may be part of the problem there too. But I think our, our emotions reflect a lot of the fan base, you know, Tajay Sharp pushed him out the door. He couldn't respond to the challenge. So now he's gone. Let's just move on and you know, worry about winning some games. That's all we can do. Okay. In another roster move, the Titans claimed linebacker, Marlo Herrera off the waiver wire last Friday he was uh, drafted by the Colts the sixth round of the 2015 draft. So last year, he played in three games. He accounted for absolutely zero statistics. No stat, no sacks, no tackles, no assisted tackles, nothing. Matt, tell us what we need to know about Amarlo. Well, Glenn, he hails from College Park, Georgia, and he does nothing on the field, and he'll be cut very shortly. Thank you. <laughs> Ice cold. No, he is a cat body. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to add on to that. No, because there's he's he's shown us nothing. There's he hasn't done he, anything in the league. No, he he was decent at Georgia, but I mean we got guys that played on national title teams that aren't going to make this team. So I mean it, it's I don't think he's bringing much to the to the uh, competition. Yeah, unless he's the guy that surprises and forces somebody else out the door, and we all look like idiots. But I'll take yeah. it if he does. Yes, sir. Alrighty, let's talk about somebody else here that's uh, near and dear to the uh, Titans fan base. And there's been a lot of talk about him, both about how he responded to the trade today, and saying that you know John Robinson did the right thing by getting a guy who isn't working hard off the squad. But also after the game last week, he pointed out that a lot of Henry's rushing yards came with the starting offense playing against the Chargers second team unit on the worst rush defense in the league. Now, of course, I'm talking about Paul Kaharski here. Weigh in on this, guys. The fan base has been just eating him up about how negative he is, about he never says anything nice. Looks to me like he's still right because that's technically what happened. So is Paul Kaharski throwing shade on Derrick Henry, or is it the fans are being a little too sensitive about Henry's performance? First off, I'm going to say that Paul has to hate us for bringing this up after DGB because you know as soon as the DGB trade went through, he had to be like, finally, they'll quit talking about me. But, uh... (laughs) <laughs> no, he's 100% right. And I understand that a lot of people don't like him for what he said in the past. And, and, you know, he's said a lot of things in the past that are kind of, I can agree, that are a little uh, too extreme or, or too one-sided. But this is 100% right. What he said is a fact. You know, it was impressive what we saw from Henry. He looked good. He moved well. He showed good vision. He showed toughness. You know, he made good cuts, stuff like that. He was impressive, but it was against a really crappy team. Bishop Sankey, you know, had a great game, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. DeMarco Murray had a great game, and even Andrews, who had that fumble average, still like five yards of carry, it should, goes to show you that they're just not that good of a defense. And, of course, he's not going to average like nine yards a carry every game. If You know, that's obviously outlandish. So everything he said was right. It was a weak defense. Don't expect this to happen week in and week out. And if you did expect this to happen, if you expected nine yards of carry every single time, you need to lay down Madden and start watching real football games. Yeah, I'm kind of all over the place with how to even answer this. Let me first off say Paul Kaharski is a giant douchebag. (laughs) What he said is true in this case, but this dude cannot be more negative. He never gives credit where credit is due. Yes, we kept the ones out there for Henry. Well, why wouldn't we? Because in a real game situation, that's what he's going to see. Why not give him the most confidence we can early? I mean, it's just like, that's great. That's great coaching on Malarkey's part. 
yeah, we're playing against a lesser talent, but guess what? It's preseason. It's week one. Everything is going to be an overreaction this week, next week, and the week after that. We're getting warmed up. Why not give this kid the confidence he needs to, to put his best foot forward? Paul Kaharski doesn't need to open his mouth when in certain situations. I haven't heard him praise anything the Titans have done other than getting rid of DGB today, which I kind of agree with. But, I mean, for the most part, this dude just gives zero credit where credit's due, and he's the first one to speak up when anything negative happens. And it's like, you know, go work for the Colts, man. I, I'm tired of hearing about him. I can't stand PK. <laughs> you heard it here first. Shut up, PK. <laughs> right? No, I don't. I understand a lot of where the fan base is coming from. He is a guy that, in in our down years, he's been kicking us while we're down, and it doesn't make anybody like him. It doesn't make anybody feel any better. He he says things that are controversial that I don't necessarily agree with. It's one of those deals where how does a guy who's always talking about teams up north, who's obviously from up north, end up as the local guy for a team like Tennessee? You know, how, how does that happen? Where you end up with this guy who probably doesn't want to be here, but he's just happy to have a job. I don't think he was throwing any shade at him. It's exactly what Warren said. It's 100% true. There's He's not saying anything that people shouldn't take seriously where this week against Carolina, you're not going to see the same thing happen because we were playing a team that won one more game than us last year that came out with no real improvements. They had a Rustin Webster type offseason. They didn't do anything to address their biggest needs. They drafted Joey Bosa. They brought in Brandon McBain. That's it. That's all they did to address their entire defense. They lost one safety. They brought in the Colts' safety, Lowry, who's he's at the end of his career. If he doesn't make it here, he's not going anywhere. So they didn't do anything about their defense. We should have kicked their ass. And he, he's not telling you anything that you don't need to hear. And just wait till next week. We'll see what happens then. But also at the same time, don't let him get you worked up. He, he's negative. He doesn't really seem to like the team, like you said. He, he just—he's he, always going to take that tact because people respond to it. It gets some clicks. It gets comments. It makes people talk about him. Hey, also, I'm not sure how long ago this was. He was actually—he started out with the Titans, but I believe a few years ago, he covered the whole AFC South. And I think ever since then, like he's been the biggest Colts dick rider there is, and like now, now he's he's back with us, just like being as negative as can be. Like I don't know, man. I even said on the post, put put Greg Arias in there instead of him for ESPN because he Greg at least tells you good and bad. PK just hates for no reason. Like yeah, speaking it, of it, dicks being ridden, Matt on Greg. <laughs> yeah, Greg's the shit, and you'll be hearing you'll be hearing Greg shortly. I believe that. I I would take. Greg over Paul, but I still don't think uh, PK's bad. Like I, there's sometimes where he is overly negative. I'm like the pessimistic kind of fan, you know. I always expect the worst. So a lot of the stuff, I think he's just being honest. And you know, we haven't been good in quite some time. And I think anybody who disagrees with that hasn't been paying attention to Titans football. So a lot of what he has to report is negative. Uh, when you win five games in two seasons, that's the way it's going to work really there's two types of um, sports writers there's the guys that are going to give you the truth no matter what the truth is and then there's the guys that are going to prey on fans hope and only write good things because it's going to get clicks because fans want to hope and I think you know obviously PK's the former rather than the latter but he does I will agree though he does say some stuff where you're just (laughs) he's a super negative he is a super negative dude sometimes and he does seem to uh, like indie a little too much i will agree with matt on that 
Yeah, and when the uh, Titans put in the new big flame logo there in the locker room, he says, this looks just like Jacksonville's. It's like, no one needs yeah, to hear yeah. that. Shut up. Exactly. That's the most <laughs> fucking re- ridiculous shit. In the- why, like, why open your mouth? It makes no fucking sense. Like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Do what right. your mama told you. Yeah. This is totally off topic, but I wanted to ask you guys real quick. In the Titans hallway heading into the, uh, the tunnel, now painted on the left-hand side, it says, prepare to unleash hell. Like, doesn't that just give you, like, a half chub just, like, hearing it? Like, that got me so fucking pumped up, man. Like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, give me a goddamn helmet. Like, I'm ready to play. Like, let's do this. It only pumps me up if I see it on the field. If they walk past that, they read that, they go out there, they play like pussies, I don't care. Yeah, you gotta show it on the field. Obviously, but, I mean, we're coming off of what was a mostly positive preseason game and a lot of optimism and... I mean, it made me even being a pessimist. I went, I was thinking that we're going to go six and ten, and I read just read that, and I was like, we're going to go seven and nine. We're going to win another game this year. <laughs> that was an extra win. <laughs> yeah, that just reading that, I was I got pumped, man, and it got me excited. It's definitely a plus. I mean, it's only it's something they look at every time they go out. But I mean, it, it's just like that Notre Dame thing when they when they touch the sign, be a champion today or whatever it says. Right. Same same deal. But I mean, it's. It just shows that they are trying to change the culture, and it's obviously a positive. That's all we've got on the news tonight. You know, we've covered a lot. We still have a lot to go. We we got to talk about the game that we just saw. We got to talk about the game we're going to see this weekend. So let's let's go ahead and work on the rest of the show here. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break before we get into the rest of the show. So we right back. We don't have time for that. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads, and we'll get right back to the show. Hey, this is Ryan and Rich from the Free Parking Show. Our show is a sports podcast hosted by four sports journalists and features shows like Beers and Cheers, Par for Discourse, and our NFL preview, the 32-team parking garage. Check us out on Stitcher, Spreaker, and our website, www.freeparking.com. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Pinecast and Stitcher. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. All right, we're back from that commercial break. We're going to jump right into this San Diego game. As I said earlier, guys, mostly positive coming from this. So let's start with the blatantly obvious and the thing everybody's been talking about the most, and that's this rushing attack that we had. We mentioned it already. Murray had a big game. Henry had a big game. Even Bishop Sankey, you know, added a touchdown and, and some impressive runs there. A lot to like in this rushing game, am I right? It was okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 their average was okay. You know, it, it, it PK, was PK, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, because apparently whenever I, I, I make a comment like, it was decent, it was average, you know, people can't understand that that's sarcasm. <laughs> yes, running for 15.5 yards per carry is a pretty awesome fucking day. Anybody who thinks it's not has been playing Madden on easy mode for way too long, you know, with with their you know personally made players. It, it was an awesome day. You're not going to probably see that again this season. I don't think we play a, an easier defense except for the Chargers defense later on in the year, and they should have 
hopefully for them, Bosa in camp by then. If they don't, I don't care. I, I didn't want Bosa in the first place, so I'm fine with him being a pussy and you know sitting out over just nothing. It doesn't hurt my feelings any. But you know, it, it was a great day against the second string defense for the most part. Now we did have some good runs against the first string defense. We also had some bad moments. There was only one play that we didn't gain yards on, though. So as far as the offensive line's rating for the day, that was pretty solid. On that one play, there were five players on the other side of the offensive line by the time Murray got the ball. So it was in no way his fault. He did everything right. Just, what do you do at that point when your line and your tight ends, your fullback have gotten so beaten that all the holes are plugged in, there's nowhere to go? Uh, and, and all, it was a really impressive running day. Uh, you'd be stupid to say anything else. Before we get just insane with we're going to run all over everybody, 3,000 yards for Murray, 3,000 yards for Henry. Let's see what they do against a couple of real defenses that we got coming up. Yeah, I agree, man. The competition wasn't really there. Like I said earlier, though, I think this week will be an overreaction game. I think next week when we don't do what we just did against San Diego, that will be an overreaction. I think we need to just chill out and let it take its course. I think – DeMarco Murray had great vision on a few of those runs. Derrick Henry did also. To be honest with you, man, every running back we put out there played well. It's San Diego's backup, so it is what it is. But we're obviously, you know, we were in that category as well because our defense didn't look too hot, to be honest with you. We're obviously the first first pick in the draft this year, so we shouldn't be ahead of San Diego, but obviously right now, if you watch the, that game, I think if we would have played our starters versus their starters for four quarters, we would have whooped that ass. But with that being said, it's week one preseason. We're, we're all just getting ready to gear up for the season, man. It's too early to tell. I think Carolina is going to be a whole nother task, and I think even though we'll probably have some success, some places we're probably not going to be able to do what we did. So, But and then, you know that's okay. We're still, we're still just preparing. It's, it's very early. Yeah, agreed. You know, we have seen a lot of knee-jerk reaction, and and Matt's right. When we're not as successful against a better rush defense against Carolina next week, it's going to be the same knee-jerk reaction in the opposite direction. But, but we did play great. You know, you watch a lot of these blocks. The offensive line handled the running game very well as a whole. Really opened up holes well. The running backs hit those holes well. We saw really great vision. Some great cuts, good moves. You know, a lot of those plays, uh, Derrick Henry just, I mean, he just looked like a pinball, just bouncing off the first tackle. It seemed like every single play he broke at least one tackle. DeMarco looked fantastic and broke that big run, and you see that it was a safety just looked like completely. You can just tell that he's just like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. (laughs) We had great blocks downfield with with DGB, and I believe it was... Uh, Harry Douglas on that on that left side. He made the cut block, yeah. Yeah, both had great blocks, so that safety was by himself, and you could just see him shit his pants right there, like, oh, fuck, I'm not making the play. And, you know, nice little move, and he's gone. And and Bishop Sankey, you know, also played very well. It was, it was an impressive day. It should be something to be excited about. But uh, just as Matt and Glenn said, like, pump your brakes. This, this doesn't mean Murray has the rushing title already. This doesn't mean that that Henry's rookie of the year. Like, let's calm down a little bit. But it was a good showing. And like I said before, when we were talking, when me and Glenn were talking about this San Diego matchup last week, I said, I expect us to have a big day because it's not an impressive rush defense, and and that we did. 
And one of the things that you saw, the the whole team, everybody, every running back that went out there had a great day. We saw what happened last year with all these running backs. That should give you a pretty good bar on what we were going up against, you know, that everybody was kicking their ass. And you can't get too high off of these things. A few years back, or more than a few years back, we held Tampa Bay to negative yards in a preseason game and proceeded to go out there and get our asses kicked all year. The preseason means absolutely nothing other than you get to see some guys make some nice moves. I was a lot more impressed with Henry's agility than I expected to be. I was absolutely. one of the people that, yeah, I was one of the people in the preseason. I mean, before the draft, I was saying he can't get outside. He can't make that cut to move over. Well, I, I'm eating some crow because he can and he did. He showed really good footwork against second string guys or not. The fact that he physically has those moves impressed me a lot. Yeah, to prove your point, I believe the 0-16 Lions went 4-0 and in the preseason. But I, I want to ask you, because I thought it was kind of cool that we saw a different side of Bishop Sankey. What did you guys think of the, the long hair, don't care approach? Because I think he's kind of like balls to the wall at this point. It's do or die for him. I kind of like the hairdo. But I like the the effort, man. It just That's the thing is I've never thought that it was an, an ability issue. You know, we saw in... Was it 2014? Pro Football Focus did the most elusive running backs, and he was ranked, I think, like third or second, something like that. But he was he because of poor offensive line play, he's getting hit so often. Instead of getting hit at you know three yards after the line of scrimmage, he's getting two, hit two yards deep. But he's bouncing off of a lot of tackles. He has the ability, but you know last year it seemed like not very much effort. And this it made Sankey get in my good graces a little bit you know i'm not sold on him making the team by by any means that by this it's not that far of a knee-jerk reaction but it did remind me like hey this guy's got some talent this guy's an elusive back this guy has the great field vision when he you know when he uses it when it all comes together he's, he's got a really nice skill set but he has to show me more if he wants to make the team i think he's like one of the guys that if we do let him go he ends up on the Patriots as like their leading rusher, and I hate to see that. <laughs> this performance didn't move the needle for me on him, you know, in part because of how bad the team was. You know, he, and like Ryan said, he's always had that ability. We we saw it in college. We, we saw it occasionally before. He he's a good running back in the right situation, and he was playing against a line that you know when CJ was here, the line was better, much better, and. He couldn't run behind him. How, are, how is Bishop Sankey, who's not nearly that physically gifted, going to come in there and play behind this? It, it was He got hit a lot for not seeing the holes under Wizenhunt. But I think we all know that the holes weren't there. Like you, you can't see the hole when there's a linebacker in it. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. I think he got frustrated with how bad the blocking was, and he just kind of gave up. And so that's where we saw that lack of effort. Now, I'm hoping that this is letting a fighter under his ass, and he's going to go out there and he's going to start producing some more in these preseason games because he has, uh, of the guys that we're talking about after Murray, Henry, you know, a- after those guys, I think Sankey's the most physically capable of being your running back after those guys. He just has to do it. And maybe maybe now he believes that he has somewhere to go when he goes out there and he's not going to just get killed takes the ball, immediately gets laid out by a linebacker or a lineman because no one can block. So we'll, we'll see what comes of it. I'm not sold that it happens, but I know that it could. Glenn, you kind of touched on something that brings up an interesting point is, you know, because of 
the offensive line, how bad it's been in Sankey's entire, you know, short-lived career so far. Like, how much of it do you think could be a confidence thing? And this could be a huge jump for him because of how much confidence you get, you know, after you break big plays like that. And as good as he looked in that game, could it be a step forward because he's never gotten to have that confidence boost at the NFL level because he's playing behind such a bad line? I absolutely think that's, you know, the case. That's what I'm saying. If that's the case, he could still make the team. If that wasn't the case and he just couldn't see the holes, which, like I just said, I didn't think were there, if it's the case that he just never had the belief that when he got the ball, there was a chance in hell he was going anywhere with it, and it was just pure luck whenever he got a good block so he could go out and do something, and then now he's seeing how good this team can be running the ball. He believes until he's going to go out there and work hard again. If he does that, he makes the squad, and that's and then we could all go, oh, that's what it was about. It's just too late because we have Murray and Henry in front of him. Right. Do you think it's even worth having Flew Ellen? I mean, he and nothing against him, but he's so there's no way he makes the team. We have a three three guys competing for potentially one. Well, with Flew Ellen, four guys potentially competing for one spot. Why even have Flew Ellen on the team? You know, he's or on the field. He's not going to make the roster. I mean, that's pretty much a given. Well, you need bodies for reps. You got so many defensive guys out there. When you're doing all those uh, drills, you've got to have that extra running back just to run drill to see what the other defensive linemen can do on the other side, what the linebackers can do when they're playing between the cones and trying to get them down before he can cross the line. So that, that's what the camp body thing is about: is you bring these guys in to help the other guys work. And so, you know, that's why Fluellen's still here. He's here to help the defense more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think Flew Island's, you know, I don't think he has a, a chance to make the team. I, I Everything that Glenn said was right there. Well, thank you. I wanted to ask you guys now that we've talked about the running game. You know, the passing game, we've talked about a little bit before, the pass blocking at least, how it was not great. But I want to talk real quick before we head on to the defensive side of the ball is these quarterbacks that we saw. Marcus Mariota goes up, goes 5 for 5. It looked pretty good, but two of those passes were on third down and were far too short for him to get the first down. One of those, I think he really had the excuse because of the poor pass blocking. The other one, I thought, wasn't a great decision on his behalf. But overall, 5 for 5, you know, it looked good. Didn't take a single sack. I thought Castle looked good. What did you guys think about this group of quarterbacks? You know, the thing about Mariota is after that one big pass, after the first completion, you know, the, the beautiful pass to Tajay Sharp, which it wasn't a beautiful pass, but he made a good job on it. After that, he completed four for four, but for about three yards per catch. What that told me wasn't so much about Marcus, other than that it seemed like he was holding the ball too long, but I wasn't seeing any reception from our receivers. I didn't see anybody open. And that's what really killed me is those passes that you saw, all those short passes, they're, they're check downs. It's the last option. He couldn't find the number one guy, the number two guy. They weren't getting open. The sharp pass, the second one that he caught where it was basically thrown at his feet, it was the only spot that Sharp could have caught it where it wasn't going to get picked off or batted down. So it was where the, where the ball had to go to get completed. I don't know if that was on purpose, but that's the only way that pass was getting caught. And it was the last option. You, you saw... Walker, you saw, I think it was Harry, and then you saw Andre. They cleared out that space. They opened up the middle of the field, and everybody went a different direction and made that underneath route 
for Sharp to come underneath and get checked down too, but none of them got open. There was nowhere else to go with that ball, and that's what's going to get our quarterbacks killed this year. If somebody doesn't get open, you've got to go out there and run good routes and create space, but it's got to happen every play. And that was my biggest concern with all the quarterbacks is they, they looked okay. They did they did some nice things, but the receivers weren't making separation against a, a team that after Verrett, there's not a defensive back there that scares you. They're playing that soft, bend-don't-break defense that we're going to talk about with our guys, and they still weren't making space. So I, I don't feel like we got a good look at the quarterbacks because the receivers didn't give us much this game. We were just we were running the ball and killing them with it. And so there just wasn't much else going on. Yeah, not a ton to add. I think we're still a work in progress, and I think, you know, eventually we will get there. But there was a couple times where I saw, you know, Mariota went to scramble, faked like he was going to run, threw a little dish off to Matthews. I like that decision-making. He was able to scramble away on third down in the first drive to get it to uh, Andre Johnson for a field goal. So, I mean – there's there's bright spots and then there's not so bright spots, but I, I think it's a work in progress. I was actually pretty impressed with Matt Castle's ability as well. He, although we didn't show a stellar performance, I thought that he proved a little bit more than than what I thought he had in him or left in him. So he kind of impressed me a little bit. But as, as a whole, I think we're still a pretty big work in progress. But I think we can get there. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said here. And and Matt, you brought up a great point here with Mariota on that play where he you know, just dishes it right over the top of the head of the defender, you know, makes him think he's going to run, sends the ball right over his head. It was a really smart move and really good timing and and just shows how his athletic ability makes him so dangerous of a player. I I like that. I I think a lot of it, you know, Glenn said, the offensive line wasn't holding blocks long enough. The wide receivers weren't getting open fast enough, and it made for a combination where quarterbacks didn't have a whole lot of time. Uh, Mariota looked looked good to me. I thought that you know he, he played decent. We didn't get to see a whole lot of him, but what we saw, I don't think he was bad. You know, obviously five for five. I did want to see him like move the ball down the field a little bit. You know, we saw him throw one intermediate pass, and I kind of want to see because of, of how last year the deep pass was kind of his undoing. I kind of wanted to see him now that he's put on the weight, chuck that deep ball. We didn't see it, but Matt, just as you just said. Very impressed with Matt Castle. He was a little bit better than I thought he was going to be. He looked good, made smart decisions, and it only makes it that much better when you see how bad Mettenberger was on the other side. You know, you saw clearly <laughs> the upgrade. Uh, and I know, of course, they're playing with different teams, and, and we definitely outplayed San Diego but and different talent, but it was awesome to see Castle clearly outplay the guy that he replaced. Yeah, you know, Castle, he looked like the guy I thought he was. I wasn't down on Castle when they brought him in. I thought Castle was a really good signing, not just because he's a veteran, but he has an ability to play a little bit more like Mariota does, where he can scramble, he can make some moves with his feet and get people open. That's what I think we're going to have to see a lot until the receivers start making plays. We're going to have to see these guys hold the ball, scramble around a little bit, force the defense to collapse a little bit, and go, oh, crap, he's about to take off. Well, that perfect point guard play where he scrambles over to the right he escapes the tackle scrambles to the right little dish picks up a few yards to Matthews now that was a perfect play we'll probably see quite a bit more of that because that's that's the kind of play he made in Oregon that got him drafted when we were all debating about who we should take Winston Mariota obviously the show wasn't going on back then but I was arguing against both of those guys 
in different terms, but the one thing I said, Mariota always impressed me with his intelligence. Whenever he was scrambling, whenever he was running around, his eyes are always downfield looking to make a play. And we, we didn't see a lot of that last year, but we really see it, saw it in this preseason game where he scrambles out, his eyes are upfield, he's aware of what's going on. I think year two he's going to get more comfortable. We're going to see more of that player. Uh, it makes me a little bit happy about it. Um, I want I like a quarterback who can scramble and still make good plays downfield instead of just running over there and just chucking the ball. As far as going downfield, I don't think this was the game for it because we were able to just run. And that's one thing I expect Malarkey to do is find the weakness in the other team and just beat the crap out of it until they force you to stop. Why, why should you worry about throwing the ball when you can run for 9, 10 yards a carry? This next game we got coming up, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about Carolina, but they've got a couple of rookie corners out there. Maybe this is the game where we see them throw the ball some more. Yeah, I was just about to say that I think next game against Carolina's young uh, rookie corners is when we're going to start seeing a little bit of the, the further, deeper passes. On the offensive side as a whole, guys, we saw a good game. Real quick, shifting to the defensive side of the ball, wasn't as impressed, at least I wasn't. Uh, what did you guys notice um, when the Chargers had the ball in this game? I noticed that a bad Chargers offensive line was able to create some really nice running lanes and did some good jobs blocking and shielding off our defensive front seven. I was not impressed with our run defense. It looked a lot like last year and the year before that to me. It's not as bad as it was. We have some better athletes back there. Jones, he had a couple of plays where it was all he could do to get a hand on Oliver because Oliver's just too quick for a big defensive line to climb into, you know, bring down in space. But all in all, there, there's a lot of work there to be done. I was hoping for more of an improvement this year. It's our third year of the three, four. We have LeBeau calling all the shots now and the linebackers still looked a little bit lost at times. They, they struggled to control the gaps against the run. They struggled to stay on on the receivers in space. I mean, we saw the Gordon play. He was by himself out there because Williamson didn't switch over to him. And, you know, Williamson, I think, is a good player, but maybe not the greatest guy you want out there playing uh, zone defense against the pass. But a big part of what we saw, I think, was just them playing soft. Not that they weren't physical guys. It's just that the defense went out there with the soft, deep safeties. They left big spaces out there you know, for passing lanes so that there's lots of room to throw the ball into. Guys are running wide open all game long, and it made everybody look bad because they weren't running the package that we'll probably see come the actual regular season. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I was not impressed with the run D at all. They made Melvin Gordon look like an all-pro, which I don't think he is, but we definitely need to upgrade on that stance but i do think the biggest bright spot of our defense has to be kevin byard even with his with his amazing play where he picked off that ball on mettenberger he they say he was down because the guy touched his wrist but he took it from the 45 to the 15 they got brought back obviously but that being said man if this kid doesn't end up starting on our team he's got to see the field early week one i mean he may not start the game but we got to get him on the field he's he's going to be special yeah, took it from the 45 to the 15 and made like four, I think it was like four guys miss on the way there. It was it was an impressive run and a, and a great pick. I agree with everything that you guys said. Not very impressed with the run defense. Not very impressed with the pressure that we were getting on passing situations a lot of the time. 
didn't seem like we could really uh, affect the passing game. At first, it really did. At first, I thought we were doing a good job, and as the game wore on, I was less and less impressed by it. I was kind of impressed by a few people in the secondary. That gave me a little bit more hope going into this season. Damian Stafford made some really great plays in the running game. You know, when no one really was, he came up and made some great plays coming out of the safety position. He had two really good tackles on the same drive that went for, you know, one, two-yard gains in the running game. So I like to see that a lot. Obviously, Bayard. Cersei had some great hits. He had that one hit to jar the ball loose. That would have been a completion. You know, really, he really laid this stick well. He looked good in this game from a hard-hitting standpoint. Obviously, we had the Staples interception. You have the Bayard interception, which both look good. But the obvi- you still have these, like, big issues. You know, B.W. Webb blew what should have been an easy open field tackle that resulted in a first down that looked awful and as Glenn just said Williams not switching over and that turned into a long touchdown from Melvin Gordon off of a screen pass that was an issue not picking up on on the short passing game and anytime they tried to throw outside down the field outside of the hash marks it seemed like they had trouble Anytime that they tried to throw and short and intermediate routes, they just picked us apart And in this game. And I, that's going to be an issue because we know that teams don't have to throw the ball deep. They are comfortable enough you know, in the passing league that we are in just to dink and duck their way down the field and score touchdowns. That worried me. You know, uh, Overall, I just really wasn't that impressed with how we played in this game, especially considering the the unit that we were playing was not very strong. Yeah, Webb, he definitely stood out to me. I marked him down several times. I kept seeing him being late. That missed tackle, you know, it wasn't even a screen. They just swung it out there. The, the receiver just stepped back and turned and caught the ball. There was nobody blocking. There was nobody between them. He had all day to get up there, and he ran up to him, and instead of running through him and making that big hit, that you know jars the ball loose because you can't get there before the ball gets caught. He went up and kind of set up on him and then dived. What the hell was that? Ankle was biter. A, <laughs> I, when I saw it happen, I was like, Ryan, right there, ankle biter. <laughs> you know, I, I just I was not impressed with that at all. It, it, he he was always kind of just late on these plays where guys are making receptions. Where if he had just a little bit more physical gifts, he could have got there. If he was just a little bit more aggressive, he could have got there. The Williamson play where you know Gordon went and scored, the problem I had with that is he picked Gordon up coming out of the backfield, and he released him into the secondary. I don't know if the guys behind him just weren't there, they weren't doing what they were supposed to do, or if he just didn't know what was going on. Uh, it was a bad communication thing where there was nobody behind him to contain Gordon as he, you know, he kind of hand-checked him and let him go by, which is part of that staying true to your zone schedule like i will be right here doing this but there there was no eye follow he just released him and then just let him go and he doesn't keep track of where he is he can't do anything about the ball if it comes out because he's just staring at the quarterback he has no idea where the receiver behind him is and we saw a lot of that and part of it is when you're playing that i've got my little zone spot we're going to stare into the backfield all day long we're not worried about what these guys are doing because we're just going to be athletic and go make those plays 
you have to be athletic enough to go make those plays, which I didn't see from our secondary or our linebacker group in pass coverage. Now, everybody had a play here or there where they looked really good, but when you play a soft zone like that and you're not physical enough to knock the ball loose and make people worry that you're coming for them, and you're not fast enough to get there, you're just going to get lit up. And what Ryan said, the middle of the field is wide open. You can't scud outside the hash marks. And I think that was by design. I think that's what LeBeau dialed up for this game is we're going to blitz. We're not going to let you beat us deep. We're not going to let you beat us to the outside. We're going to keep everything in the middle where more attackers can come in and get involved if you do catch the ball. The problem is, is our defense wasn't getting to the quarterback, which, you know, Ryan said, if they're not getting enough pressure, if they're not getting to the quarterback and getting those sacks, dialing up blitzes all day long doesn't do you any good. And we didn't add a lot of speed to our defensive front seven as far as the guys that were starting. One of the guys who wasn't playing, Kevin Dodd, he doesn't do anything for your speed either. He's going to be more of a run stuffer, a guy who kind of creates pressure. If you can't get to the quarterback, you can't play that soft zone back there because the quarterback can just stand back there and all day long hit your little 10-yard pattern where you just run back behind the linebacker and you're wide open. Hunter Henry burned him several times. You know, Before the game, in the Know Your Enemy article I wrote, I said, look out for him. He's going to burn you. And he did because they're playing a soft zone that lets people be open in the middle of the field. Without getting to the quarterback, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. We didn't get our first sack in the game until Mettenberger was on the field. The pressure really wasn't there. It was very manageable. And I saw someone, I forget who it was, in the Tennessee Titans uncensored group say, it seems like we're blitzing the same exact blitz package like every single play. You know, running the same three or four blitzes every single play. And it did seem like that, and I noticed that as well. Another thing that I noticed a positive for us was discipline. The Chargers had five flags thrown on them before Tennessee had their first Way less penalty yardage. The turnovers showed it as well. You know, definitely won the turnover battle in that game. Much more disciplined team than the Chargers were. And I know, you know, it's preseason. You're playing young players. or playing guys that don't get to see a lot of time. That kind of stuff will happen. Young quarterbacks and the like. But I want to see that happen every single game. Where we win the turnover battle, we have less flags thrown on us and that's something that i always want to see and i was glad to see it in this game as well yeah let's not forget we didn't have Parrish cox and bryce mccain out there also i mean i think both of them are going to be heavy contributors on the defense those two guys being out gave antoine blake a chance to go out there and show that he deserves to be on the team he, he was all over the place making plays they were commenting about it he's one of the guys that is athletic enough to play that soft zone and still make a play a lot of the guys we have, they don't have that extra makeup ground speed. And, you know, like Ryan said, they were running that same blitz package over and over again. I was watching it. I went through play-by-play play in slow motion, watched every single play of the game. It took all day on Sunday to do it. You know, I got nothing else to do, so why not? I was going through there watching all these, and we sent Morgan to the house every time. He, he just kept blitzing and blitzing, and he was ineffective in the passing game most of the game he just he couldn't get there and we missed him so much last year but he doesn't seem like he's getting there this year either when we switched it over we sent a on the other side he was more of an effective guy again it was against mettenberger not as impressive that whenever you're blowing up mettenberger it, the line on the chargers on both levels the, the first line that came out the second line that came out 
they did a really good job of neutralizing Morgan for the most part. It didn't make me very happy. We just we weren't getting the pressure. We don't have the guys who just beat you with speed to get you to get to the quarterback. And so we're trying to muscle our way in there, and we're just not getting there. And if we aren't getting there against this line, I'm really curious to see what happens against some of these better lines that we're going to play. Uh, one thing I noticed, too, you guys just touched on it, was how good Blake looked in this game. I was impressed by him, and I wanted to say that that you know he did look good. He, every single play that he ran, especially man coverage, which is obviously is his bread and butter, but he just had that guy in his hip pocket every single time, and he, he did look impressive in this game. Before we shift gears, before we head into this Carolina game, I wanted to ask you guys, is there one thing that you noticed in this Chargers game that that every fan might not have saw? For me, the the thing I saw, the, the working on the left side of our defense with Jarrell Casey, and Brian Arakpo, those two guys work really well together. Uh, when Arakpo was getting pressure up the middle, it's because he was basically doing a stunt with Casey. Casey would eat up two blockers and give Arakpo room to go around either side he wanted to go to. It's something you expect from two of the best players on our defense. It really stood out to me. And whenever I watched how well Daquan Jones was working on the other side, in pass rush, Daquan Jones showed me quite a bit as far as getting up the field. It's just with no pressure coming from Morgan, Daquan was eating up the, the block, and Morgan still couldn't get it done. The fact that the fullback was able to contain Morgan time after time was really depressing to me. I didn't see that side of the line, the Derek Morgan-Daquan Jones combination. That didn't seem to be working for me. I'm curious to see if maybe they want to switch it up, what, what they're going to have to do. Or if that's going to be our strong side, then Avery Williamson has got to be able to get in there and fill in those holes because the running back's going to become flying out of that right side. If Morgan can't be effective in the running game and can't get to the quarterback, that's the side they're going to pick on. So Avery Williamson is going to have a lot of traffic coming his way. Wesley Woodyard impressed me this game. He was everywhere making big plays, big hits. He was really correcting mistakes that were happening in front of him. So I wouldn't be shocked if in order to deal with the weakness on that side of the line, they swap those guys. I know Woodyard's used to playing over there, back behind uh, Casey and Rackpo, and maybe he looks better because he is. But if they swap, maybe that gives you a guy who's a little bit more of a veteran who can cover up those mistakes a little bit better. Yeah, all great things there. My first one, first thing I noticed is, you know, we're talking about how bad these tackles played at some points, especially in the uh, passing game. Go to the the last play of our first drive, and I clocked it, and didn't even get the three seconds before both tackles are beat. And you have to give your quarterback more time than that. And then, you know that was absolutely crazy uh, of how short a time in the pocket that he had on that play. Uh, you know another one that I noticed, I said a little bit earlier, is Quentin Spain just getting into that second level. It seemed like on every running play. He's able to get the block, pop off of it, and hit somebody else. And it really impressed me how he was able to get upfield on a lot of those plays. And my last one would be when our defense switched to all second teamers, Nate Palmer was the one calling the plays out on the field for the team. And watching him, you know, they, they said that he's been having a pretty good camp. He didn't look bad. I, I thought looked good. He looked composed. And I was impressed for what I know of him and from what I've seen from him in the past 
for what I saw from him that game, I was impressed with Nate Palmer. And I, and now I'm starting to get to that point where I'm like, man, I really hope he sticks around for a while because I, I was impressed with what he was able to do. And, and a, a guy that I think has the potential to maybe be a, a good piece moving forward for this football team. Yeah, several of these guys are guys that when they came in, we we weren't real high on them. You know, both Blake and McCain, neither one of those guys really blew us away. We, we talked about that earlier, that we weren't really impressed. Maybe they don't make, even make the roster. Whereas today, I'm pretty sure they do. You know, certainly Blake, he, he's got the physical speed and the ability that I think he ends up making the roster. I, I did talk about some of these matchups that we saw that we're talking about today. You know, in, in my Know Your Enemy article there where I was saying, look out for this guy. Look out for this guy. Uh, Nate Palmer was not on that list. You're right. He looked very good. I, I think this was his tryout as the main middle linebacker. Uh, that's kind of how I took them putting out here and having him call the plays. And he did a good job. We had heard from some of the media guys that we should be looking out for him. So, you know, I kind of missed on that one, I think. But he, he played pretty well, t- second string group. I don't know that it's enough for him to replace either Williamson or Woodyard. But having a guy on that second group that can come out and fill in because someone's going to get hurt. And if you have that guy who can come in there and call the plays and run the defense, that's not a bad option to have. So he he definitely moved up a couple notches in my depth charter for guys making the squad. Staples, he he had a good game. Uh, He'll probably end up making the squad just because he's everywhere. He's physically everywhere he needs to be. I didn't see him making any mistakes in the group he played with. He's not a starter for me, but he's he's where he needs to be. So that I was impressed with that. On the offensive line, like you said, those tackles, you know, any time there was a passing situation, our two young tackles got beat and beat bad. They were just getting marched backwards. You know, th- There were a couple times where Jack Conklin, he, you know, he's got 50, 60 pounds on the linebackers coming downhill at him, and he's just getting marched straight backwards. He did a decent job of staying in front of him, but he just got marched you know, straight backwards. There was a play where Ben Gardner for the Chargers absolutely lit up Matt Castle. It's one of those plays where he picks him up off the ground and slams him. And the reason that happened was Jack Conklin stepped straight backwards. He didn't step in. He didn't you know, step forward. He just stepped straight backwards, and he just opened up this huge you know, almost three yards between him and Chance Warmack. If you go back and look at it, it's with 123 left to play in the second quarter. You know, a lot of people are starting to kind of tune out at that point, and it looked like Jack was ready to go to the house and just, you know, get in there at halftime. Gardner took a full step forward. He was still outside of Jack Conklin's reach and then just turned around straight at Castle. And all Conklin could do is just kind of stand there and just kind of wave his hands at him helplessly as he went back there and just lit up our quarterback. You cannot have that kind of play. A better defensive player would have gotten there before the ball got away. You know, Castle did a good job of getting rid of the ball, so it wasn't a sack. It didn't knock us out of field goal range. We still got a field goal. It was a really bad look for him because we would have had to punt. It would have got our our quarterback possibly, you know, sack, fumble, hurt. And the fact that Castle's a veteran could have gotten rid of the ball first, that, that kind of saved his bacon on that one, but it was a terrible look. Yeah, and one more thing before we move on. Just right before halftime, you have two seconds left. You're on the 50. They they run the draw play. It's preseason. You have nothing to lose here. Fire the football. I don't know. I just I hate when you see gutless plays like that, especially in preseason when it just it doesn't matter. You know, throw a pick. It doesn't matter. The score doesn't matter. Fire it down the field. 
and they should have there. They, you know, they called the timeout. They got themselves in a situation to make a play late to try to drive down the field, and then, you know, two seconds left at the 50-yard line, you run a draw play. I didn't like that. I thought it was it was a gutless play calling, and I didn't. I don't like that. But I know exactly what you're saying with that. You know, it's it's preseason. This is the time where you put these guys under pressure. You know, there's going to be a time in a game where we're at the 50-yard line with two seconds left, and we have to throw deep to win. Let's exactly. get a look at it. Let's see if any of these guys can get open deep. This is the kind of play that cost Doral Green Beckham his roster position. That's the play that he's there for, a go route. Get upfield, get deep, let me throw this ball out there. Someone's got to go make a play so we can win this game. Doral couldn't get off the line. You know, He doesn't get clean releases, and he's a huge guy. Probably one of the few receivers that could just chunk me out of the damn way. And if he can't get a clean release, it's just effort at that point. That's the kind of thing that cost him his job, and that's what you're looking for in a play like this, exactly what you're talking about. Running a draw doesn't do anything. You don't get a look at anything. You you didn't think you were going to score. It doesn't matter if you did score off a running play at that point because the game is going to take care of itself. It doesn't mean anything. That's the shot where you take it deep. They know you're throwing deep. You know you're throwing deep. Everybody knows you're throwing deep. Let's get a look at it and see if we can win in that situation. It's the perfect example of what you're talking about where you have a chance to get a look at something, to see how it goes, and you just don't. Absolutely, absolutely, Glenn. We're going to move on here, though, uh, from San Diego. This Saturday we will be taking on Carolina. You know, This is a team that's coming fresh off of a Super Bowl Obviously, we've talked about it earlier, what our rushing attack's going to look like against them. Obviously, a, a great chance to see how our defense holds up against an offense that it can be very dangerous. Uh, this is one of the best rushing offenses in the league last year. Uh, and, and, you know, get us a chance to see this team as a whole against a little bit better unit. So, Glenn, let's break it down into the top three things, and, and you can go first with your first one here. Three things from this game that we're going to be looking for, that you're going to be looking at? And what would be number one for you? This is, you know, obviously when I write that article for the uh, Know Your Enemy, I'm going to be covering all this stuff. So I've already started working on that. One of the things about the Panthers is this is a team that we're trying to aspire to be. They have a mobile quarterback who can make plays in the air. They have a great ground game with two big guys in the backfield. They run the ball on you all day long. They force you to respect the run so that they can throw the ball. They're they're the team that we want to be. Uh, even their defense plays a lot like we want to do, except for they're a four three. So the things I'm looking for, I want to see our offensive line deal with a much better front seven. Matt calls me the big dog for a reason because I'm all about the line. That's where I watch the game. Like Tajay Sharp, I missed his second catch because I was watching the line. I worry about what the receiver did and the replay because they don't show the lineman in the replay usually. I'm really looking forward to seeing if these guys can handle a much better, much more sophisticated blitzing group with veteran defensive players who already did it last year. They have all the physical tools to do it again. And I want to see not just the two tackles who we know have a lot of work to do. I want to see what Quentin Spain looks like against this group. Uh, He had a good game last week, so that's the kind of guy I'm looking at. I I don't just look at who had a bad game and can they do better. I look at the guys who had a good game against an opponent that they should have had a good game against. Now I want to see them play a guy that knows what he's doing when he's rushing, that has power, that has speed. You know, These linebackers for the Panthers are very good too. So I, I want to see how this line handles a much stiffer challenge 
against the defense that's going to be coming. They have young corners back there that they have to protect a little bit. I expect to see more blitzing from them. I expect to see much more successful blitzing from them. So I want to see what this line does. I agree 100% here. And also how the rushing game and passing game react to the more pressure and what we're seeing from uh, Murray and Henry and uh, Mariota too. But obviously... It starts with the tackles and and how they're performing. I agree, though. My eyes are going to be on Quentin Spain, especially because, you know, left guard being the position of interest on that offensive line this offseason. So, number two, what's the second thing you're going to be looking for here, Glenn? I want to see how our linebackers do against this group. I I was tempted to go with our defensive line because I always go line. I think our defensive line is up for a stiffer challenge. I'm really curious to see... Not how our defensive line does against the second-rate offensive line from last year, because I expect them not to do very well. As, as much as they've improved, other than Jarrell Casey, I think they're pretty much outclassed by the group they're going up against. So we're going to see Jonathan Stewart getting into the second level against these linebackers, and I want to see how our linebackers handle that, because they're going to have a lot of work in front of them. They're, they're playing against a much better quarterback as far as ability to move. They're taking on a running back duo back there that's going to come at you with size and speed. I mean, Jonathan Stewart's 5'9", but he's only 7 pounds lighter than Derrick Henry, and he's just as fast, if not faster. That's going to be a big problem when he pops up out from behind those big linemen, and the linebackers have no choice but to react and just try to get there in time. That's going to tell us a lot about our running game. We already weren't impressed with what happened against the Chargers, who have a bad offensive line, and Gordon, who I think is better than he gets respect for, but isn't as established as Stewart. So this linebacking group's got a lot to prove this next game if we're not going to end up seeing people run all over us all year. Good one, Glenn. I also stuck with the defense. I just went a little further back into the secondary. This secondary has their hands full against a very good wide receiver core. They have Kelvin Benjamin back. They have Ted Ginn Jr. who can really burn on the outside. You have Greg Olson who also poses a threat for those safeties and linebackers. Not easy to cover. Believe it or not, I think the interesting one is Ted Ginn. You're going to see guys have to line up against him, especially if they try to go man-to-man. If he tries to hit that go right, we know how fast Ted Ginn is. you got to be able to stick with him. We're not going to see a lot of Cam Newton if we see him at all, but I want to see how their quarterbacks are able to play against our secondary and how they hold up, especially, you know, as you said, we're probably not going to be get as much pressure, and we really didn't get that much pressure on uh, Chargers quarterbacks that aren't named Zach Mettenberger. So it's going to be interesting to see how this secondary holds up. And I, and I think I was impressed with what we did last time, so I think an average performance is what I'm expecting. I don't expect them to shut them down by any means, but I don't expect their quarterbacks to have a field day against us either. What would be your third thing heading into this game? Well, before I go there, is what, what you're saying, if we go out there and we don't try to man up against a guy like Ted, Ted Ginn, he's going to kill us. You cannot play a soft zone against a guy that fast because he's going to catch the ball in space, and then what do you do about it? That's, that's kind of what I'm looking for with your group there as far as the secondary goes is where I was going to go is I want to see how our receivers do against their secondary. I'll be looking at them because – these receivers, they've got to get some space on somebody. If you can't get some space on two rookie cornerbacks, then this is going to be a really long year for Marcus Mariota and Matt Castle. You've got to be able to get out there. 
these are rookie guys, as talented as they may be, neither one of them is the guy that Josh Norman was. If you combine the two of them together, you've got Norman. And so both of these guys can be beat. And if we can't beat these guys, then our passing game is in big trouble, especially because we've already shown a running game. The play action should be that much more effective week by week as long as we can keep that up. So the play action freezes safeties. It freezes linebackers. It isolates those corners. And if those corners are able to shut down our our starting wide receivers, it's going to be a rough year. That is also my third one, Glenn, here is, is I want to see this, especially because I think the running game's not going to be as effective. Not that it can't be effective. I don't obviously think it's going to be as effective as 15 and a half yards per carry, whatever it was. I think we're going to slow down a little bit. So it's going to add some a little bit of pressure to the passing game when you, you're not running for first downs every single time you touch the ball, obviously. That goes without saying. And you bring up a great point is this defense is really strong almost everywhere else except for at the cornerback position. So it's going to be interesting to see how we are able to take advantage of this matchup, especially with having a wide receiver cord that's not great and is also kind of in flux, you know. There's, what, four guys that could be, maybe three guys that could, easily be our number one wide receiver at the start of the season it's this is a game that i'm going to be looking at for guys to step up yeah if 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 they if anybody else can get open so we aren't just chucking the ball down because that that check down pass it's there but it's there for a reason it's not dangerous you know with kendall right out there maybe you have some run after the catch you know potential going out there which is why we're talking about him as their slot guy he's your check down guy because he can get so much done once he gets the ball in his hands in space but if your wide receivers can't win and you're just checking down all day, you're making three, four-yard passes. You're not getting first downs like that. And there will be days, no matter who we have there at running back, that we cannot run for first down in two plays. You're having to make that third down play. If it's not going to be third and two, checking down doesn't get you a first down. Those wide receivers have got to win a route. Absolutely. We don't want to be Brock Osweiler out there. that. <laughs> <laughs> Houston's first game where it was just check down, check down, check down every play. Average something like three yards per completion. It was outrageous. There's a guy that earned his money. <laughs> yeah, right. We encourage Houston to make bad decisions as much as possible. Uh, I have had it. <laughs> but that's about all the show we have, guys. Definitely check out you know, the Pick'em, as I mentioned earlier. Be sure to watch your Tennessee Titans take on this Carolina Panthers team and look out for all the stuff that we were saying we're gonna have a new poll question up this week since me and Glenn just touched on the wide receivers here we're gonna ask you who you think is going to have the most receiving yards in this game definitely be looking for that if you're listening to the episode it'll be up there right when this episode airs so definitely check it out vote check out the pick as I just said always and make sure you find us out there two-tone uncensored on podbean.com and glenn's articles come out every week your know your enemy articles so definitely keep looking for that and a lot of great stuff there on the page and don't forget to participate in the polls which we'll be doing every week throughout the season uh thanks glenn thanks matt earlier for being on the show and everybody have a great night
Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show at twotone.pinecast.co or by downloading the Stitcher app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like it on Facebook.